exciting, Jim. But not as we know it. This is big. Right now, it is 27 minutes past 3 p.m. on Thursday, the 30th of June, 2022, and your ears are listening to the Bashcast. Coming up in this afternoon's Bashcast, we have a recap of the charity match, Mindless Wanderers versus the Witchbold old boys a few bookie bashing members came and joined in on that uh, the bookie bashing support system gets a revamp we have a new model a new tool it's the handicaps model it's really cool we'll talk about that that exists within the bet builder plenty of new entities to attack with this england women versus switzerland women is the lack of confidence in these off-season games a good thing or a bad thing and Tom wins a $7.50 1,068 person heads up Hyper Turbo Bounty Tournament for $1,360 whilst out babysitting his friend's children. All of that and more coming up in the Bashcast this afternoon. Morning, three, two, one, afternoon now. It's just ticked over 12 o'clock. I hope everyone's well. So we had the Mindless Wonders football match last week, last Friday. This was the charity match that I accidentally organised on the same day I was meant to be driving down to Devon with my family with. Um, we raised £675, which is all going over to um, our teammate Boris, who will be sending it over to Donetsk to those friends and families of him that are either engaged in the war or engaged in rebuilding over there. So thank you very much to everyone that donated. I think the final score was um, Mindless Wanderers 1, Witchbold Old Boys 8. A couple of things. Old Boys was a little bit of a loose term for a couple of the Witchbold lads, but I tore my calf... In the ve- Are you really going to start axle grinding right now? You've had all morning with just silence, and now you're axle grinding. Brilliant. Right outside my window. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, the first kick of the game. Not even of the game, of the warm-up. Well, one, I belted it into the top corner, one of those Tony Yaboas off the bar. Um, but um, with my other leg, tore, my, tore the calf. Um, and couldn't run, and still can't. It's now Thursday, um, uh, so six days later, and uh, I'm still limping on it, and that was the very first thing. I think I did it through stupidity. I did um, like a mega fast last week of um, three or four days. I had completely off any calories, so nothing. And then I ate, so like Monday, I ate Sunday nights, then nothing Monday, nothing Tuesday, ate Wednesday, nothing Thursday. Stupidly, I did continue relatively high amounts of cardiovascular so i did a uh, 90 minutes of peloton on monday and tuesday and this is on a complete fast and i think what i was doing was actually straining a lot of the nutrients to my muscles because i was getting cramp when i played an 11 aside on the when the thursday night the night before the charity match and i got cramp everywhere and i was like oh this isn't 
this is not very clever. Like, I'm trying to do this to be healthy, and I'm actually thinking I'm going in reverse. And then the charity match the following night, the first kick of the warm-up, I just tore the calf muscle. And so um, I had to go and goal, which was a surprise to me as much as anyone. Um, and that could be something to do with why we lost 8-1. But it doesn't matter. The scoreline at the end of the day wasn't important. It was really good to actually meet a load of um, people associated with in the gambling world and also in the bookie bashing world that came down from various places, from Oxford and um, from all over the shop to come and play in the match. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate the money that uh, everyone raised as well. And then we had Glastonbury on the weekend, which, look, if Glastonbury is one of those things, I, I went to about seven Glastonbury's. Um, and it's like, if you've never been and then and you're moaning about it, just shut up because you've never been and you don't know what it's like there. If you, you're like me and you've been, shut up telling people about it because you can't actually convey what it was like. There's no point. It's like the, the, the worst stories are people's Glastonbury stories of how great it was because it's impossible to get over... Um, um, the, the being there just in conversation to someone else. It, it's an experience, and that can't be conveyed through an anecdote very easily, especially an experience as bizarre as Glastonbury. And also, you look at it at cherry-tinted glasses, you think everything when you were in your early 20s was great and that you had no worries and that you had perfect skin. In all honesty, things weren't great. You didn't have perfect skin, and... What is very easy to forget, remember, is the highs of three o'clock in the morning and very easy to forget is the lows of 11 o'clock in the morning. You know what I mean? So um, there was a couple of things that I, I, I never heard of a Billie Eilish before. And so I wanted to give that a try on the television. I'm a big fan. That was good, especially the very last song. It was going off. So congratulations to a Billie Eilish who's 20 years old and was slamming the pyramid stage and um. Uh, the Sunday night headliner. What was the options? Kendrick Lamar, uh, Pet Shop Boys, or Bicep. Uh, I think at the event I would have gone for Pet Shop Boys, but on the television I went for Bicep. And if you haven't tuned in for that, you've got 30 days to do it. That is an amazing 90 minutes of um, music on the iPlayer. So tune into that. But other than that, it's been relatively quiet. No particular anecdotes of note i've been down in london twice in the last two weeks so i've done um the golf from down in london from various coffee shops and things like that um the um first one a couple of weeks ago just went down because um pete from sbc and um anthony kaminskis were both in london at the same time so we just went down to catch up uh and then yesterday i went down to the star sports offices down in mayfair for the betting people interviews with Simon Knott, which was really good fun. He seems like a quality guy. That's quite a nice shop down in Mayfair. I wish I'd had more time to explore it, but I had to sort of dart out at half past 12 to go and get the golf done for weekly golf value and the golf options for bookie bashing as well from the from the cafe around the corner. So I didn't get that much time to explore the Star Sports offices, but it was good fun. I like those betting people interviews. The Patrick Veitch one recently is um, um, really engaging and very interesting. Uh, Pete Ling did one a couple of weeks ago, and um, that was really, really good. Um, the, there's two comments, and I mean, what's the point of living your life by YouTube video comments? But there's two comments on the YouTube. The first one is, um, the sound is terrible, and this isn't the first time, Simon. And you're kind of like, okay, well, maybe the sound, sometimes the sound is terrible. Sometimes the sound is terrible by accident. Sometimes the sound is 
terrible um, because something's gone wrong or but whatever. It's like that. Does that matter? It's like if the content's important, if the top content's good, who cares about the sound? Um, if you're engaged into listening to what is being said, you'll get over that in about five or ten seconds. But then the second comment, I'm not even going to repeat it. But to me, it seems like there is an agenda. There's an agenda from a minority group of people who actively want to see others fail. It's like, this is a conversation from a man who's um, um, done loads of these interviews, Simon Knott, with a man who spent 20 years um, independently reviewing tipsters and services. If you don't think that that conversation is valid enough just to be recorded and put on YouTube, you don't have to listen to it. Or you can turn it off at any point. But to then publicly post really negative stuff about it says, well, either if it's done, honestly, it says more about the person posting it than anything. Um, The fact that they haven't heard or experienced what they wanted to experience and then they felt the need to share that. Um, Someone recently on one of the Bashcasts, the feedback comment was... Who has the time to listen to this? I'm just like, uh, what am I meant to do that with that information? It's like, what am I meant to do? It's like, fix the time that you have in your life. That's your problem. That this is your problem. You've reacted in a in a in a in a an extremely unusual way to free content being put in front of you. Free content that you can choose to listen to, and in the in the case of Simon Knott and Pete is very valid from two custodians of a lot of knowledge and experience that has been built up over the last 20 years. Um, so whether you experience it positively or negatively, it, that, that, there's no point in sort of saying that you don't like it or you don't have time for it or whatever, because it means it's not for you. But just because something is not for you, you might not like a Billy Eilish. You might ne- never have heard of a Billy Eilish. You may have thought that... Um, um, What's her face? Diana Ross wasn't meeting to your expectations. Well, guess what? Diana Ross must be like 100 years old now. And perhaps when you enjoyed her in the 1970s, you were 20 years old or 30 years old. And you look back at that with rose-tinted glasses like you never had a hangover and you had perfect skin. In fact, it's not true. You didn't have perfect skin and you had loads of hangovers. And it's the same with this. Your perception, you're your, telling me that you don't have to, who has time to listen to this. Loads of people. And you know what? If no one does, it's not. I don't even care anyway. The, the Bashcast is always a personal diary. It helps me organize and structure thoughts. It has never been any more than that. So it's almost for me. And if anyone listens to it, I kind of find that amazing. And it's great. And five point one two percent of people actually voted us for the best podcast as well. Um, and to feedback to Simon and Pete that you know um, you don't like what you're listening to uh, is negative people and unhappy people leave negative and unhappy comments it's as simple as that i'm sorry you know i mean there are plenty of times where i've actually seen or listened to something that i didn't appreciate it and i i don't think i've ever felt the necessity to actually go to the person and tell them that i think i I sort of just vote by switching the thing off and moving on with something else i would never sit through an hour of something and then moan about it at the end but there you go so um, that's the first thing. So it's either negative people leave negative comments, unhappy people leave unhappy comments, or it's worse than that, and that someone has an agenda. Somebody deliberately wants to um, to bring this down. I, 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 we've had this before at Bookie Bashing. I've got into sort of unnecessary discussions with people saying how bad 
uh, and how, if you like, expensive bookie bashing is, but they're not members. So they're coming at this with no frame of reference. It's almost like standing outside of um, Adams in Birmingham or the Fat Duck in Bray and having never been in there, just standing there and screaming at passers-by, um, this place is a joke, it's so expensive, it's not worth the money. You know what I mean? It's like, well, what are you achieving there, you you idiot? So um, I do probably sway towards... Um, there's an agenda going on with people sort of purposefully trying to bring this down. Um, for what purpose, I don't know. Um, and so I've got my hard hat on for when uh, my betting people is um, released because um, sort of traditionally... I've had a few people, and I suspect some of them are the same people over and over again, follow me around on various platforms, leaving these comments. Um, uh, and I, I think I'm a little bit better now at dealing with them than I used to be. So I'm ready. I'm ready and waiting. And um, you leave something negative and unhappy about it, unhappy people, they leave the unhappy comments. And so that's the angle I'm going to be coming at. So on the subject of... Um, these engagement things. Um, for a long time at Bookie Bashing, since, well, we've been around since 2015. Um, and we used to have our sort of own forum and then we moved to Telegram, but not, neither worked particularly well. Telegram especially didn't work very well. So then we... We moved to Discord, and Discord's fine. You had all the different channels where we could segregate different things. I mean, one of the big problems with Telegram is you didn't have that segregation of channels. So Discord, you know, we could have sports chat here, racing chat here, golf chat here, sports chat here. And um, certainly the feedback that we've had from the community enabled us to build the tools and the trackers in the manner that we wanted them built. And this was important because Bookie Bash has always been a sort of community-driven um, project for us over since 2015 we have pretty much never made a profit at bookie bashing I, I have always made significantly more money from gambling than I have done from bookie bashing I mean you know the month that, that's always quite relative because of course the month that I lose money I could be working part-time at McDonald's and I would make more money um <laughs> working than I would do from gambling. But then the months that I win, I, w I make significantly more. And then taking it all the way back to 2015, one of the things that we've always done bookie bashing is we just reinvest all of the money. I mean, we have a lot of people, I think 11 at last count, that work for us on a sort daily or bi-daily basis. And um, 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 we're continually sort of developing trackers and tools and edges and intelligence and stuff like that. And so... We've always, this has always been a good, fun project for us. And what we found on Discord, and this is a sort of reflection of a failing on how we managed it, especially our managed expectations, is that we had two channels on there. Uh, those channels were the site error flagging channel and the feedback channel. So let's break down what these two channels did. If you had any particular feedback about something you would like to see on Bookie Bashing, you could recommend it to us. And a lot of how we have optimized our user experience and our tools and our trackers is 
through feedback from members because of course we can't get everything right first time we sort of do something we release something in alpha we get some feedback someone has an idea we run with it someone has an idea we don't run with it but it's sort of a it's a combination and a collection of ideas that's got us to where we are so the site error channel is that the nature of the game that we are in the bookmakers are always trying to stop us from um, collecting their information. So, for example, the horse racing tracker, how this works is that we have various different techniques for collecting what the back odds are. And we try and make that as live as possible. Of course, if right in front of me now, Skybet cut a horse from 7 to 1 to 6 to 1, it's not going to be instantly reflected on our tracker. It's going to take a little bit of time. Now, we try and minimize the time. We hope it to be a minute or so, but we try and minimize the amount of time that that information takes to get from the bookmaker to us. And actually, we've invested tens of thousands of pounds in a project in the background over the last couple of years that is ongoing, where the best way we could possibly do this is if we go to the bookmakers ourselves individually and constantly read the prices on the pages of all of the races. Now, how, ma how many races? There are eight races a day. There could be six meetings a day. That's 50 races. So that, that there, there has to be a bot looking at 50 races with 10 horses in each race, the price of 500 horses over and over and over again. Imagine if that's happening from one um, internet connection. The bookmaker is going to easily go, that is not a human being visiting us. That is a bot. So you're going to get blocked. And the game becomes a cat and mouse game. The bookmaker puts up defenses and we have to find a way around it. Because of course we're not doing anything wrong. This is publicly inf available information. And in the game of bookmaker and punter, this is a, an acceptable strategy that we're using. All we want to know is what the odds are that they're providing at any point in time. And all they want to do is to prevent us from knowing. And both of those strategies are valid. It's just exactly the same as aggression and defense and chess between two opponents of each other just because you're being aggressive doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong you're simply playing the game and just because you're being defensive doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong you're just playing the game from your side and this is what what's happening with both parties so we're in this constant battle where we're trying to um get as up-to-date information on the horses as possible and leading up to the off Prices can change quite quickly, and that's when the last 10 minutes, the prices in our tracker are most likely to be off, and that will always be the case. So we try and improve this over time, but things can get blocked, um, and will always happen. And when that happens, we hear about it on the forums, and people can go onto the site error channel, and they can report that to us. And lately, it's been happening a little bit more frequently, because bookmakers have been um, investing a little bit more in these defenses. Perhaps it's because it's the off-season of the football and there's a little bit less content on the bookmakers, so they shift some people from one department to another department to work on this. I don't know. On top of that, you don't just have um, issues with stale prices on the tracker, which are very important to hear about, but there are also queries of calculations. Now, we've got some um, bots that go around and look at the requester bets and the your odds, and the overwhelming 99.5% of them are negative EV, but half a percent of them can be good. And if the bookmaker gets a particular line just completely out, um, they can be quite good, especially if the line is very high. And I think we had one recently, which was um, 
oh, it was something like Lithuania, or I think one of them was Latvia. So it could have been a Lithuania Latvia or a Turkey Latvia or something like that. And the the Latvian card line was really quite high. It was like they were expected to have 50 to 60 booking points in the game for whatever reason. I couldn't tell you why, but this was an agreement in both of the spread sites. Now, when they're expected to have 50 to 60 booking points in the game, which is somewhere in the region of 4.7 cards or 4.5 cards, because um, one yellow is 10 points or and two yellows is 20 points and one red is 10 points. You can actually change that in the settings in bookie bashing because some bookmakers run with the theory that one red is two cards. Really, that needs to be standardized in the industry, incidentally. There should be no reason why over here one card, a straight red is one card, and over here a straight red is two cards. But regardless, um, um, if if you're going to be expected to have 4.6 cards in a game, then the odds of you having one card, if you're going to assume um, a straight Poisson, distribution if you're going to assume that this is a binomial distribution where the each of the cards is independent and that's probably not super accurate because you've got to think that the fewer cards in the game the fewer cards in the game you know the fewer cards in the game means that it really is everyone's a lot more well behaved than we expected them to be and the, the more cards than the more cards if that makes sense you know so it's, it's not going to be directly binomial but let's just assume it is just now and we'll just use a poisson um with 4.6 over you know um one card in the game is going to be like 1.01 uh two cards for that that team is going to be like 1.19 now when we're dealing with such low figures if the bookmaker is even slightly out um um say paddy power thinks that there's going to be 3.5 and not 4.8 which is only one card difference but that means that all of a sudden the fair odds for um, um, a card for that team is 1.03 compared to 1.01. Now, in terms of the worlds of probability, we're starting to see a lot of multiplication here. And what we can do with EV is now we can start seeing a lot of purple EV because fine margins at these ranges, especially when compounded into same-game parlies, such as what-odd paddies, can result in huge EV, right? So... The base calculations are not affected. They're always the same. We don't calculate something right one day and then wrong the other day because the code doesn't change. And the data is available transparently. One of the important things about Bookie Bashing not being tipsters is we have live databases where if you can go and see what we expect the cards to be at any time on the detailed games page for both teams so if you want to check if a particular calculation is right or not, or you agree with our assessment of the cards or not, you can see what the data is. Um, uh, now, at half past seven in the evening, um, my wife was down in London and my poor six-year-old daughter was telling me that she was feeling ill and she started being sick everywhere. Now, you may not care or want to know about that, but... Here's the relevancy for what's going on in terms of how we manage bookie bashing. At quarter past seven, somebody tags us on Discord to to say there's loads of purple EV Latvia bets on the tracker. Are they all wrong or are they right? And 10 minutes goes by. Now, I didn't see the tag because I'm cuddling my daughter in the bathroom. But then... Kickoff sneering. 
7 o'clock or 7.45 is coming around and they've asked this question at quarter past 7 and it's now 25 past 7 and I'm going to now put myself in their shoes. They want to bet on these. They could be cut at any time, but they don't look right. And we have structured the system where you can raise an error at any point and ask us to look at something. Now, I start feeling a little bit of guilt because... I know that there is quite a lot of people, like dozens of people, maybe a hundred people, waiting for a reply to this answer because we were tagged and then we were tagged again 10 minutes later. There was an urgency and come and look at this now. There is money at stake. At the same time, my daughter's being sick and she's six years old and she's crying and she's unwell. Um, And the amount of stress from my point of view at that point, I mean, I, the, the thing to have done was to have had all mobile phones, computers off so that I just didn't know about it. But then a third tag comes in and caps locks going, boogie bashing, can you please come look at this? And I sort of wrap my daughter up in a towel, put her on my knee, come down, check what the cars lines are, both the spreads, check a hand calculation. And it turns out that everything is right. And so there is nothing to worry about and everyone can go and bet on this. Now, here's the issue. With the Discord site reporting channel, we can get tagged at 6.30 on a Sunday morning and asked to look at things. We can get tagged at 8.30 on a Wednesday night and asked to look at things. And all times in between. In fact, I think we've even been asked about something at 2.30 in the morning on Christmas Day. Now, some people can... Could argue, well, no one's got an expectation for you to um, answer immediately. But actually, here's something that's going on. When we're tagged and then tagged again 10 minutes later and then tagged again 10 minutes later, there are some people that do have an expectancy, and I can understand why, that there is money on the line and they want to have this checked. From a business management process, this isn't working for two reasons. One, all we're now seeing is um negative feedback um over and over and over again and as time has gone on discord has come become a place where people share fewer and fewer edges and more and more errors get posted i do remember recently reading somebody saying has anyone noticed that boogie bashing is just full of errors actually no it's not we're not not full of errors it's just that the only thing that is posted is things in the error channel a lot of it is unwarranted a lot of it is correct but people rightfully want to check things almost immediately so that's the that's the first thing is that you have this thing where um, we are it, it, it's an experience where you just think that there are only errors being reported and nothing else. And the second thing is simply being on call all of the time to fix things. Now of course there are things that do need to be fixed immediately, but of course we can't be available from two in the morning until one in the morning the following day. It's not pragmatic and it's not practical, especially when we're running a business where um, we've never turned a profit particularly. And so we get to the point, the conversation actually starts happening of this is meant to be a fun project, but it's actually becoming extremely stressful from our point of view just now, from the management point of view. And this is something that we've got wrong, structuring the business in in this way. It's almost like we've structured the business. And imagine you go to Marks and Spencer's with a pair of trousers and um, you bought the pair of trousers, but you're returning them for some reason. Perhaps there was a hole in them. Perhaps you created the hole yourself. Perhaps um, um, there's some reason where you want to talk to the manager and discuss this. 
And when you go and talk to the manager, but before the manager speaks to you, he turns on the tannoy speaker so that everyone else in the shop can see how you have resolved this issue. And that's a little bit like that with the way that we're dealing with things on Discord. It's like everyone is waiting on tenterhooks to see if, if we have um, sorted it out um, succinctly, immediately, and quickly. Now, if we've got a staff of 40 people that are working around the clock, that isn't a problem. But that's not the case at Bookie Bashing. In terms of customer-facing people, there's only about three of us, right? And um, all three of us have got kids and families. And even if we didn't, it, the, the thought of working 24-7, 365 is unreasonable. So the way that we've structured this, actually, this is our failing. It, it was our mistake to have structured the business like this. And for all of these reasons, what we've actually done now is um, gone and created an internal support system tool in Bookie Bashing, which serves a number of benefits. First of all, um, if there is anything um, in terms of feedback, it no longer gets lost. Um, because we used to take um, uh, requests for changes and feedback to the site on Discord, on email, on um, Twitter, direct messages, on Facebook, texts that would come through, WhatsApp messages. I mean, all of these different platforms. And actually what would happen is that a lot of feedback would just get lost because we weren't particularly structured and organized. And then the second thing is that errors would be posted, which were either valid or not valid, but either way they had to be addressed. But we would need to assign this to the person that's in charge of it. I mean, Duncan manages the business. I manage all of the edges and the mathematics. And Lee manages all of the IT. And so it would need to go to the correct person. So having this internal support system enables us to actually more efficiently deal with anything. And it does mean a little bit of retracting away from where we were before on Discord. But it is actually going to um, maximize and make the interaction with Bookie Bashing a little bit better. So that was very difficult to explain when we released the support tool. It's certainly not a case of um, um, running away from Discord. However, there were some significant issues with the way that it had been working for at least the last two or three years that had been ongoing for a very long time. So this support tool that Lee has created has actually been a project that's been in the background since then. And yeah, I hope that sort of serves a little bit of purpose of exactly what we've been going through and why we have implemented this way of communicating between bookie bashing users and bookie bashing. Right, so we've got a new edge, a new model up at Bookie Bashing. Um, again, one that we haven't sort of released with probably enough explanation. So let's go through it now, shall we? This is um, handicaps. So if you go to the bet builder, which is what where I am right now, we've been doing handicaps for a couple of years this way, right? But the way that we've been doing it is we've been doing it on a spreadsheet. Uh, and we've been doing it on boosts only because, up until now, because that's where everything starts life. Everything starts life as a model that attacks boosts because boosts are an area where we can sort of be a little bit more loose. We can get things a little bit wrong. And still, if we're just betting on them, if we can, then there should still be some sort of positive ROI. So there's no big trick in betting on boosts. The trick was getting some sort of automated model in place that could calculate them um, accurately because from there we can move on. 
So if you go to the Bet Builder, open up advanced calculations, you've now got five options. Uh, Betfair, Exchange, Best Bookmaker Price isn't really working very well there. So I wonder if we need to remove that because um, yeah, there's just not enough bookmakers that get priced up in there. I'm wary of it. Advanced Calculations is all of our databases. XG, X Corners, X Cards, X Shots on Target, Player XG, etc. Handicaps is the next one down. Actually, we la we added the last one just now, which is just a static variable. So if you want to multiply a bet by 1.25 because you want to, you can now, or 1.5 or 2 or whatever it is. So for maybe there's two components of a bet. You can't get the second component up from the bookie bashing calculator for whatever reason, but you can, um, you do know what the fair odds are for it. You can just now plug that in, right? So let's have a look at handicaps. How's handicaps going to work? Handicaps is really for anything that, well, for football, we've got our age and handicap model from the game center. So that wasn't an issue. We already had handicaps there. But for everything else, and by this I mean um, primarily rugby union, rugby league, American football, those are the big three, but also snooker, especially in the longer matches. Um basketball things like that things where a team can be there's a line set and the, the line might be minus 17.5 or something like that so for these games um uh, what we've done historically we would find that they would often be boosted right so maybe um betfred would boost them he sponsors the super league for example and he might say wakefield minus 11.5 now, to work that out, what I would do is I would go to Bet365 and I would go to Rugby League and I would bring up the game and I would go to the alternative, alternative two-way handicap market and I would look at what is minus 11.5 for that team. Uh, so that may be 3.0. And what is plus 11.5 for the other team. So that might be uh, 1.36. So we've got 3.0 and we've got 1.36. So if we put that into a calculator and take the reciprocal of each side, we very easily see that there is 6.86%. So the mark, the, over, the overround here is 106.86%. The 6.86% added to the probability. So that's, um you know, 1 divided by 3 plus 1 divided by 1.36 equals 1.0686. So the 6.86%, that is Bet365's profit margin. That's what they've added into this so that they can make a profit. So we can put that back in to those prices. We can do it from a number of ways. We could just spread it equally between the two prices. We could weight it so that there's a little bit more bias fave long shot bias, so on and so forth. And so we can come up with a pretty good estimate of what the fair odds were that Bet365 used to calculate this bet. And then we can go back to Betfred or whatever, and we've got the fair odds, and we can compare that against the boost. And so we've been doing that for the best part of a couple of years. Why Bet365? Two reasons. One, they offer an alternative handicap market from all prices, really from, you know, some 1.03 to 10 to 1 a lot of the time. But secondly, consistency. Now, this is sort of 
concept to get our heads around from when we're using this. Um, it's important to always have the same benchmarking source because we're going to use this source to look for we're going to look look for information elsewhere and we're going to look for value elsewhere now if we find value elsewhere there are two arguments that we could make we could make the argument that there is now value that we found at betfred benchmarking at bet365 or we could say that the bet365 price is out and whilst it looks like value over at betfred actually the value was at bet365 on the other side and they're just so far out that it looks like it's value Bedford, but it isn't. Okay, let's run with that hypothesis. Now let's say we look at 1,000 plus EV bets. How many times is it going to be that Bet365 are out? I would argue that on a random sample size, Bet365 are not going to be out more than 50% of the time. It's mostly going to be the outlier value, the boost or the outlier market that we find that's going to be the value. And not every time. It's sometimes it's going to be bet365. But most of the time, it's going to be the outlier value that has risen up in EV because it's stale or because there's just a complete difference of opinion at that particular trading compiler, Right. But as I say, not all of the time. There will be occasions where the value is over at Bet365 and we simply do not know when that's going to be the situation. So we will be betting the other side of bets where the value is at Bet365. That's not positive EV for a single bet. What about over a 1,000 bets? Well, as long as the majority of the bets are value at the side that we're taking at, we can swallow up some of those bets that are wrong by benchmarking at bet365 and it was bet365 where the value was in fact even if it's 50 percent of the time it should be okay because of you know we're taking 107 percent 108 percent and when we're losing we're only losing two percent or three percent so we're, we are heavily weighted on the side of the value and we're getting more value from the value than we're losing from the non-value does that make sense? We're getting more value from the value over the long run than we are losing from the non-value. We're losing 1% or 2% when we get it wrong. We're gaining 5 or 6% when we get it right. Over 1,000 bets, that works itself out. So it's a law of averages here. It's the law of large numbers. We can attack this in confidence, knowing that it's okay to be wrong 100 times out of 1,000 when we're betting at the margins that we have now if all our bets are 90 are 101 percent ev then we're probably not betting high enough expected value to swallow up where we're getting it wrong but that's a judgment call for the user you know so there may be some intelligence of filtering in 105 106 percent ev now how do we get 105 106 percent ev well up until now we've been doing boosts but now we can start adding standard markets um, so I've been having to play around at this because what happens is that we can now track these live. We track the Bet365 lines live. And when they start to move, any time that the line is moved, we can be confident that at that moment in time, that is now the best information because it's just moved. And we will find things that are stale and rise up in EV as a result of the market moving. So the market moving at Bet365 is only good news for us. And when that 
determine stale prices that are out there. We can go and bet on them. We can go and bet them until they get changed. So what might be happening is we... Here's what's slightly difficult. Bet3, Betfred, William Hill, they don't have all the different handicap lines that Bet365 do. They'll set the evens line maybe at uh, minus 2.5, and they'll maybe have a couple of alternative handicaps, maybe minus 5.5 and minus 9.5, but not all of the different variations in between. Then when the line moves at Bet365, we see value. So minus 2.5 is value, but then the Betfred or the William Hill might push it to minus 3.5. The minus 2.5 is gone, as in it's not possible to bet minus 2.5 there anymore. At the moment in time, because we're putting up these bets manually, that can mean that these prices are on our tracker, but not literally not available, like the line isn't available at the bookmaker. That's slightly an issue for bookie bashing in terms of managing expectations, because now what we're doing is we're putting bets up that we know aren't going to make it to kickoff if the lines start moving. And so people log on to the tracker, they see minus 2.5 is value, they go to Betfred, and they see it's minus 4.5 at Betfred, and they get like, what the hell's going on? And I can understand that. What's the solution to that? One of two things. One's a bot. Two is for this tool to be used privately. Now, the bot could work, for sure. The bot would constantly be reading what the current handicap is and feeding that back in, so we're getting the bookmaker information from the bot and not from the BB team or me that's uploading them. The only issue with that, do we end up destroying the value? You see, these markets don't take a serious amount of liquidity. They take more than boosts do, but it doesn't take a lot of money to get the line changed, especially in rugby league and rugby union and Gallagher premiership matches. I mean, traditionally, there's not a lot of money that come in and hit these hard. So if we're highlighting value on them and the money comes in and hits them, we could end up shooting ourselves in the foot and killing the markets and the edges ourselves. So I very much think the way that this is probably going to be best used is for those intuitive people to use it privately. I'll be using it privately and I can set it up and then my guys can go to shops at Paddy Power or Betfred at William Hill, hit the machines and we should be able to find value. And these will be in my private tracker that goes out to my runners because if I put them on the public tracker benchmarking all of these against Bet365 and more people hit them, then they're just going to be killed. There's enough people at Bookie Bashing just hit the horse racing tracker. They're not interested in anything else, right? But there are still lots of people, and there's not much we can do about this, that take screenshots of the bet tracker and send it to all of their friends who send it to all of their friends who send it all to all of their friends. And as much as we would like to protect and stop that from happening, we can't eliminate it in total. And... As soon as all of these bets of the handicap lines are coming up at 110, 120%, 130% EV, it's so easy for someone to screenshot that, send it out, and then people that don't even contribute anything to bookie bashing end up getting the lines killed. So I'm erring on the side of not doing that. I'm erring on the side of this being used privately by me and by users, which means that I can't teach you how to fish. You have to teach yourself. Is that a phrase? That's not the phrase. I'm not going to give you a fish. You have to go to the fishing shop. You have to buy the tackle. No, you don't even have to buy the tackle. You've already bought the tackle. <laughs> the calculator is in the fishing shop. You have to go to the fishing shop to open the calculator up and put all of those wiggly worms into your private tracker. 
And then those wiggly worms will run the way up the EV ocean and you're going to catch some fish. But we cannot catch fish en masse for the entire bookie bashing community because of the tuna. We're going to kill the tuna. And we can't be killing the tuna because they're everybody's best friend. And we kill the tuna, there'll be no more tuna, nobody can have tuna. There'll be no more tuna. Sushi, no. Sashimi, done. Finito. Right? So the only way we can do this is encouraging people to come to the fishing tackle shop to set these up in their private trackers and monitor the lines themselves. We are going to, I hope, put up, because we're still in our infancy, this is kind of the off-season, I think when we get into the on-season, we're doing this ahead of the season starting again. We should be putting up all Super League, all Gallagher Premiership, all NFL, 16 matches a week, every week. Obviously, things like World Cups and Six Nations will, will all go up there. And those are the games that can take major liquidity. We, You know, under-20s Scotland versus Romania in rugby union isn't going to be taking much more than 20 quid before the line moves so it's pointless even for a single person but we will be looking at the competitions and the games that can at least hold a little bit of liquidity before the line moves and we don't move them ourselves and yeah i'm quite excited about this um so it's in its infancy it was only released last week i think we did get a message and again this is kind of a communication thing from us um notice the new handicaps tool um, quite interested in how it works given that you're finding value against the bookmaker's regular prices rather than boosts. A couple of questions mainly. Are you saying you can calculate the handicap lines more accurately than the odds compilers? Uh, no, we're actually using the Bet365 line. That that That's what we're using. It's the, it's the Bet365 odds compilers that we are benchmarking against. And as we say, we hope that... The value is on the correct side the majority of the time when we find value on the tracker and the times that it's not we deal with that by the law of large numbers and the second question from this person was is it a special circumstances where the match winner price is out and therefore the handicap lines are too not so much it's the special circumstances where the line moves at bet 365 and that instantly should highlight value where it is stale where it is slower to move at the bookmakers right that's basically what it is and they also ask him, also the same tool for rugby and NFL seems unusual given they have different point scoring systems. Okay, so how the model works is we take all of the alternative handicap lines. So I'm looking at Newcastle Knights versus Gold Coast Titans just now. They've got lines from Newcastle Knights minus 25.5 all the way to Newcastle Knights plus 22.5. We take all of those points and we map them on a curve. And from that curve, we can apply regression analysis and we can then extrapolate out from minus 999 points, which of course would never happen in rugby union, to plus 999 points, which of course will always happen in rugby union. But in terms of mathematical modeling, that's what we're doing. And because we've got that, we can then look outside the points distribution that Bet365 have if they only have a limited alternative handicap market. How good is our fit? 99.999% R squared. Really, really good. It, it's pretty much spot on. It's the fit we've got. It's like an S-curve and we and the fit is good. So we don't need to worry about the regression analysis and the fit. We're using the same 
points distribution curve for all sports, even though rugby and NFL and snooker are all different point scoring systems because it's actually the S curve that comes from the alternative handicap market for the points distribution from Bet365 that we can extrapolate out of the uh, distribution that they offer on their page. So it's all good. We don't need to worry about the different point scoring systems. Um, uh, so if you're interested give it a go it's sitting there under the bet builder i think it's one of the higher value lesser used edges that we're going to have moving forward for people that are running the private teams um at bookie bashing all right one more uh this came in this is a question this is turning into a bit of an ask me anything maybe we should do that one day maybe we should do an ask me anything type thing because um i've got uh, one more bash cast in a couple of weeks which will be like the 14th ish ish of um uh, july then i run into the weekend which is going to be shy guy festival which is like our annual um annual party uh, got the hog roast in Dan has built some decks down in the carport and we're really going to town to make a dance floor down there and make it look epic. And uh, my son was in charge of naming it. So he's gone with Shy Guy, the character from Mario. Shy Guy Fest, a DJ lineup at the front, DJ lineup at the back, might even turn on the hot tub, regardless of the electricity prices these days. Maybe we won't go too far there. Um, but yeah, so a couple of, a bash cast in a couple of weeks. Then we're hitting the ground running with um, Shy Guy Festival. And then the following week, it's the 22nd of July, and kids are on the summer holidays. And that's me taking a sabbatical. So I am off work and gambling and bash casting and everything from the 22nd of July up until the 2nd of September when the kids go back to school. This is my son's last summer holiday summer holiday before we start school we're packing the tent up and we're going up and down the country we're going to go camping with friends we're going to go to wales north wales south wales some music festivals uh possibly paris in the euro tunnel some west end shows so um it's going to be a little bit of a nice time for me to take some time off because even when you're winning long term it can just grind you the day-to-day gambling just there's something it's not the word is not toxic but there's something a little bit um invigorating that benefits from a little break because i feel like if you just constantly do it forever then a little bit of plateau can come in but just a small break away from it all means that you can dive in with both feet, and go even harder. Uh, I would have loved to have done that at the beginning of August for the start of the new season, but it doesn't work with some holidays, so I'm doing it at the beginning of September. So my personal plan is I'm basically cashing out all balances um, uh, in two or three weeks, and then uh, I'm reloading. I've got plans to actually reload a little bit higher because I've had some success in a few of my balances recently, and to hit them a little bit harder uh, come September. So, all of that being said, we have one more bashcast of the summer uh, until September. So, if you want to know, if you want anything asked, answered, how tall am I? Five foot seven and three quarters. If you want anything more than that, but if you want anything gambling, 
you can email it, email it in tom at bookiebashing.net and we might do an ask me anything. I mean, I've said this before and literally you get zero stuff through into the inbox and that's fine. I'll just warble on as normal if necessary in the next one. So in this one, we get a question that came in this afternoon. Hi, I'm getting my arse handed to me on Boost's exchange seeding since we've been out of season. In your opinion, is the variance in your opinion, is this variance or is betting on England's women's BTTS and other obscure matches possibly the reason? I'm finding lots of matching and then moving against me compared to during the season where most move in my favour. Okay, completely legitimate question. This, there's a few different things to break down. So first of all, this chap, what he's doing is he's taking, say, a boost at Betfred, a boost at Bet365. They might boost um, England women to win and both teams to score to five to one. Uh, he instead of betting at the at the bookmaker, they're seeding the exchange. Perhaps they're getting um, five point eight at the exchange. The match betters are the arbitrage players are backing at six, laying at five point eight. We're providing the five point eight, and the fair odds maybe five or whatever. Right. So that seems very reasonable. Um, so that's a very good strategy, um, especially for anyone that wants to bet to higher liability than boosts or. Um, um, just doesn't have any access to these soft bookmakers. So he's been getting his arse handed to him, so he's been losing a lot since out of season. Now, that would have been presumably about a month ago. Yeah, mid-May would have been the end of the season. So in your opinion, is this variance? Well, now, variance equals, and this is off the top of my head, but variance equals the sum of all the value of the observations minus the mean observational value, all of that squared, divided by the number of observations minus one. The key here is I need to know the number of observations. Uh, and I don't. And so I can't answer. Um, if you, if I, if we bet on a coin, flip, and I offer you two to one, and you have, you have to pay evens if you lose, and you get two to one if you win. So 20 quid to you if you win, 10 quid to me if you lose. Right, there's two to the power of ten, one thousand and twenty-three to one that you will lose all ten. That's the variance there. How unlucky is that? It's one out of one thousand and twenty-four. Now that's an incredible strategy. That that's sort of that's one hundred and fifty percent EV. You're getting over ten bets there, right? But still, um, the sixty-five percent of the time you're going to be down, something like that. Um, there's a 1,024 chance that you're going to be down 100 quid but then there's a 100 to 1 chance that you're going to be down about 30 quid and so on and so forth right down to about and so what I'm saying there is that the critical factor in that is how many times are we going to flip the coin uh, if it's once or twice then there is a 50-50 or a two-to-one chance that you're not going to be profitable. Now, that's very different to 1,024. So the number of observations is very critical. And I can answer if it's variance. But I think he, this, the, 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 the person that has asked this question knows that. I think it's more asking, is betting on England women and BTTS and other obscure matches possibly the reason? I'm finding lots of matching and then moving against me. Now, that's a very good line, moving against me, because that's sort of critical as well. We don't just want to take a good price at the time that we're taking it. In the long run, we want more of these prices to move in our direction. So the prices to start coming down. 
and we start beating the closing line by even more um, than taking a price and then it going off higher. Now, no one has a crystal ball and can perfectly bet on everything that comes collapsing down. I get we just want this to be the majority of the time the price is moving downwards in a downward direction uh, that more often than not. Uh, it's not qu quite done by quantity as well. It's sort of a weighted quantity. You see, if 50% could go in your direction and 50% could go away from your direction. But if you're betting a sort of Kelly value staking thing, and as long as the more high value ones come in your direction, then 50% can still lose. And the fact that you're Kelly staking means that that's taken advantage of. Anyway, you would still hope that over 50% of the time, the value ends up going down from the moment that you bet on it. Um, because that's proven that something there is working in your favor. So he's finding that during the regular season, it happens more often and during the off season, it doesn't happen. Well, that is something where in less liquid markets, we're less likely to be betting on steamers. There's less likely money pushing the EV of a lot of these bets upwards because they are less liquid. There's less people looking at them. Uh, in terms of um, England women, Switzerland women versus England women is uh, at 5 p.m. today. Uh, looking at the exchange, there's £7,000 matched on Betfair, which will be £3,500 on the back and the lay side of those three events, Switzerland, England, and the draw in um, the match odds. That's nothing, absolutely nothing. Over 2.5 goals, 1.67 to back, 1.71 to lay, fairly liquid. There isn't even a market for match odds in both teams to score. Looking at the price history of England, England started off at 1.5 and are currently 1.25. They have halved in price. When was the last time you bet Manchester United in the Premiership at 3.6 and they go off 1.8? Nobody halves in price in the Premiership. But you get these halvings in price in these liquid matches. Which means what? Which means that we have less confidence. Uh, everybody has less confidence. Our models have less confidence. Now... The real crux of the question is because we have less confidence, is that why the this chap is losing? Because we have less confidence in these matches and they're more obscure. I am going to posit that it's actually the other way around, right? Because there is less confidence in these markets, it's not just us, the modelers, that don't know how to price these and what's going on and which direction it's going to be. It's going to be the smart money it's going to be the liquidity is less confident as well. Which means that those people that are enabled with more tools and more education actually now have an advantage. So you go into the, go into the Manchester United versus Liverpool. That, without anything happening in team news formation or anything like that, there's not going to be much of a drift. Once the models are set by the sharp money, we have essentially a static flatlining market and not much is now happening there's no um price movement there's no delta change there's nothing like that whereas in a market with only 7743 pounds traded on the match odds there's a lot of shifting still going on we don't even have a very mature market just now and that lack of certainty that's going on everybody take your drink 
late into the bashcast, but take your drink. That lack of certainty actually benefits us um, because we're now working with tools that are a little bit more sophisticated than the average Joe. The the average of the, that £7,743 that have been put down don't have the same amount of tools, knowledge, education that we do. Now, um, uh, why has this person therefore been getting their arse handed to me? And I'm, I, I'm, I'm almost certain it's just going to be um, adding apples with apples and getting four. Just sort of say, oh, well, I was winning in the season and now it's out of the season and it feels like I'm uh, winning a little bit less. And also these markets are a little bit less mature and less efficient. And surely this is the reason. I think it's the opposite. Uh, I see generally during the last decade of looking through seasons, I see more edges at the beginning of the season uh, than I do at the end. And it tends to be less efficient at the beginning of the season than it is at the end. Um, so this lack of efficiency and this lack of confidence that people have in the numbers is something that actually works in our favor as opposed to against us. So um, I would personally embrace it and see if we can ride out the variance rather than be concerned that we need a little bit more precise and a little bit more confidence walking into these markets because with that precision and with that confidence brings a, a, a set of markets that are a lot harder to exploit um, but um i know like when the um when the m matches are few and far between as they are um like the number of volume of bets that we get in the off season goes dramatically down it can sort of stretch time out a little bit and feel like um things have been going um worse than they were just because losing periods tend to go on for longer because number of observations goes down um i went um i went to my pal's house for babysitting duties so they could go and see the Top Gun film, my friends, John and Vicky. Um, and they had nobody to babysit. So I said, I'll go over and babysit for them. They can go out. Um, they got me a bottle of wine to drink whilst I was there because at the age of 44, it doesn't seem appropriate to pay me £5 an hour. I took my laptop with me and um, I put, I just put £100 into my PokerStars. And um, I very, very quickly just sort of busted a, a load of cash hands and a $50 tournament. And, you know, not not exactly the biggest high roller in the world, but my $100 was very quickly $7.50. And so um, I was in one of those, I cannot win at poker tonight. So uh, this babysitting is going to cost me £100. So what am I going to do with my last $7.50? and 50 cents i entered the stupidest tournament you've ever heard of in your entire life it was a 1068 person heads up zoom bounty tournament now let's break that down heads up means it's the, the table just has two people on it and no more right so it's me versus one other person zoom means that as soon as the hand is complete whether you folded it or you've won the chips or anything like that you jump to another table. So let's say you get dealt 7-2 off in the small blind, you're first to act, you click fold, hand over, you jump to a new table. Or let's say you go all in on the river and you win the hand, as soon as the hand's over, you move to another table and you play a different opponent. So that's what the zoom component of it is. It was a hyper turbo, meaning that the blinds just escalated unbelievably quickly. 
Um, and the bounty aspect of the tournament was a bit bizarre. It was a 1,068-person tournament, but there was nothing for first place and nothing for second place and no min cash. Instead, what happens is that you buy in for $7.50, and um, that's all as bounty. So if someone knocks me out, they get to keep $3.75, and $3.75 gets added to their bounty, and then their bounty grows. Their, their, so their bounty will now be $11.25. And if I knock that person out, I get to keep half of that, and half of that goes on to my bounty. So if you are successful enough to knock people out over the tournament, um, then your bounty grows and grows and grows. Well, I played this for an outrageous two and a half hours, which is a long time for a um, bounty tournament. And I kept going all in, and I just won every all-in. I mean, I won every single all-in until I had so many chips that I wasn't all-in anymore because nobody could put me all-in because I had all the chips on the entire table. And by the time John and Vicky got back from um, babysitting, there was 10 left, and I had half the chips in the entire tournament. And they wanted to go to bed, and I didn't particularly want to leave because I, uh, I was drinking all of their wine, and I was in a critical point of the tournament. So I had to log quickly in to um, uh, my iPad so that John could get me in the car and drive me home. Because I wasn't driving home. I needed to pay attention to what was going on in the poker tournament. And um, I was pretty much just pushing all in every hand because that was now the plus EV move. Because um, every, if you get knocked out, it's game over for you. You cannot collect any more bounties. So you generally don't want to be calling any all-in pre-flop shove with garbage certainly even with a top 20 a top uh, 10% hand or 20% hand that might be good enough to do it but beyond that you want to be folding and I took advantage of that and I would just start shoving every single hand to get myself into a position in the tournament where I could shove in all in against you with seven twos off and even if you called and I lost the all in I had so many chips that I could just do it again to the next person in the next hand um and by the time John drops me back at my house, because it's a hyper-turbo, we've gone down from 10 to 3 people. So I've knocked out my chap, and I'm just sitting on a table on my own. And then the other two are playing each other, and um, uh, they played each other for a good half an hour until there was a winner from that table. And then we're on the final table. I have 1.8 million chips. I started off with... 5,000 chips, and now I've got 1.8 million in this tournament. Actually, I think I started off with 2,500 chips, and I've got 1.8 million. And um, the other chap at about 1.2 million, so I'm a 50% chip leader. And I just, um, uh, high, super aggressive, raising him every single hand, um, got it all in. Um, I think I was um, behind on equity when I got it all in, but even if he, I doubled him up, he wouldn't have been the same chip stack as me so uh i got lucky but you make your own luck and from that single tournament i won one thousand three hundred and sixty dollars in bounties um uh, from a seven dollar fifty tournament how much is that in um usd in gbp um so that was one thousand one hundred and sixteen pounds i won from babysitting my friends two kids um the other day uh, as they went to watch Top Gear and pay me a bottle of wine. I'll be your babysitter anytime, Maverick. So um, the weird thing about that was 
my headspace when I entered that $7.50 tournament is, this isn't my day, I cannot win a single bet, uh, I, I'm pretty much throwing away this money. That was my headspace. And then something strange happens where I beat every single person in a 1,068-person heads-up hyper-turbo and end up taking home £1,100 in um, profit uh, for winning that tournament. It just goes to show you that when it's going on, variants can just suck so much. And then somehow, if as long as you're employing long-term positive EV strategies, it all just works out in the end. You just got to wait for it to work out. You, We always get there because we are doing the right thing. And uh, I would suggest... It's sort of the same analogy through the off-season. It feels bad when we're losing, but um, just keep tallying it up and um, focus on the long-term game, and we will get there. And don't, for for God's sake, be one of the greatest bettors in the entire world and suggest that your opponent, if if you were them and you got Queen-10 suited, you would go all in. And this has exactly happened to Mr. Negreanu, one of the best in the entire world. Their opponent got Queen 10 suited. They woke up with 10s in the super high roll, a £250,000 rebuy whilst they're on the second bullet. And um, the board ran out, runner, runner, spades um, to knock Negrano out with a flush. This guy's meant to be the best in the entire world. He then takes his tripod, smashes it on the table, throws it against the wall and storms off in a huff. And I'm staring at it going, you're betting too high, even you, because I mean, who the hell? Even the professionals can afford 250,000 bullets twice in a tournament. I'm telling you what, he's not putting that money up himself, by the way. That's definitely some GG poker money pro going money going on in there. But I, I understand I understand the frustration, but it's not the right thing to do. It's not the right mental headspace to be in, to be taking your tripod, smashing it on the table and throwing it against the wall. In the same vein that it's not the right headspace to be staring at these off-season games and thinking, I cannot win in these because the efficiency, the confidence, the liquidity is not there. It's nothing to do with that. It really isn't. Sometimes you get yourself into that headspace and then out of nowhere... A 1,068-person heads-up hyper-turbo bounty tournament returns $1,360 in bounties as you're babysitting. Stay good, stay free, and don't let the bastards get you down.